Hi, this is the Organizational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organizational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organizational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Okay, today we've got Melanie Marshall. She's the author of a new book called Trust, the Foundation of Healthy Organizations and Teams. And Melanie's one of our members and is a, an organizational trust consultant. Melanie spent 10 years in the Royal Australian Air Force and has a degree in psychology from the University of Canberra. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you for having me on, David. I really appreciate it. That's an absolute pleasure. Um, do you just want to kick off by telling us a little bit more about yourself and the journey that you've taken in order to actually get to this book? <laughs> well, it's, it's been a long one, a long and convoluted one. I uh, never quite knew where I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, that's still the case. Uh, I bounced around between all different sorts of careers. Uh, Air Force was the first one. And then I started getting into organisational change. I did some personal training, uh, life coaching at one point. Um, but the, the common theme was people and trust in order to change or do something very differently for, for a different outcome. And what got me to the book was a, a constant sort of, I guess, looking for the type of leader that would inspire me and feeling that we could do better, uh, we could be better within organisations. And I got to a point where I was sick of doing sort of a lot of co uh, contracting type gigs, working within organisations and getting really frustrated at the rate at which people within organisations, including myself at the time, weren't being trusted to do what we were employed to do. And, and it, was, it wasn't about just me. I was seeing it among my colleagues. I was seeing it um, even, even among the executives who I reported to. There seemed to be this underlying thing that at some point they either weren't trusted to do the job or they didn't trust themselves. So that kind of piqued my interest. And then it really got fever pitch probably about ooh, a year and a half ago where I was sitting around with a friend of mine and I said, I've got to do something different with my career. I feel like I'm just kind of on the same treadmill over and over again. And at the time I was working with a client and I was getting – incredibly angry at the way in which he, uh, he wasn't trusting his teams to deliver. And they were a fabulous team. They had great skills, great experience, but for whatever reason, the connection wasn't there and he kind of lost touch with the people who he was supposed to be leading. And looking at my own failures in the past of not being able to um, connect and not being trusted to do the job and even not getting trust from other people to do my job. I'm like, what, what, what am I doing differently? And I said to my friend, well, maybe I need to write some kind of a book. Maybe I need to do something to really just, just, I guess, reflect on what I've done and, and think about what, what could be done differently. And if I can help somebody else avoid the pain, the frustration that I've been through, that'd be great. He said, oh, Melanie, you're all about leadership. I'm like, no, oh, I rolled my eyes. There's no way the world needs another leadership expert. I said, the, the thing that grinds my gears is that people just don't trust one another. And it's got to be a better way. So I poured myself into reading a whole stack of different books, leveraged the research that the Oxford Review kindly pull together and make sense of <laughs> and the 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 thing that I was noticing was that uh, certainly within the books that I had read like the popular sort of oh, I guess your self-help books your leadership management books and even reflecting on my own um, training from the military and other leadership development courses that I've done there was a call out for trust but it was never anything around how to do it 
Um, communication was too vague and broad. Um, all of the different sort of models around organisational change and culture, they weren't, weren't quite hitting the mark for me. So I started going about this journey of, well, what is it that I do when I am able to obtain trust and and it's a mutual thing? What 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 is it that creates that? So that kind of led me down the path of really writing this book and the actual heart and soul model itself came from um, I had this epiphany after going to a like here they have like a, where you get your grocery store there's a big chain called called Woolworths and every week I would get my groceries and a gentleman at the counter would serve me and he was fabulous he was amazing and I was always inspired by how he operated and this one particular day I, I said to him I'm really inspired by what you do I think you're incredible um how are you and for whatever reason, he totally opened up his heart and he said, I actually feel like I've lost my sense of purpose in life. I'm like, wow, that's, um, that's horrible. That's, that, that's really not reflective of what I see every day. You give so much and yet for you, you feel... That feels like it sounds like you feel really empty. He says, "Yeah, yeah, I do." And so we had this banter as he was, you know, scanning and packing my groceries over <laughs> um, life, life purpose. <laughs> uh, we we had conversations around what it was like when he did feel that he had purpose. And within the space of five minutes, I'd found out all of this stuff. He'd revealed all of these very deep things. But yet he had left me with a smile and he also had a smile because he realised that um, he liked painting and he could pick up the paintbrush and he could start again and he, he committed to that. So I, I got in my car and for whatever reason I burst into tears because I, I'm like, wow, like that, that, that was just an amazing Amazing conversation. It was connected. Uh, he was really clear around um, what was missing, what he needed. And and then there was a commitment from him that he was going to do something different to really change, change things for himself. And I broke it down in the car. <laughs> going, what the hell did I just do? And for whatever reason, that the, the, all of the competencies, the heart and soul competencies that I, I came up with, um, just blurted out of my head. And then there the book began. So I, um, from there, it, it was breaking all of that down and going, well, starting with who I had to be. Um, was really important. Understanding his context, equally important. Uh, and then finding a way that we could have that connection, make it really clear around what supports that he needed to be able to then, then do what he needed to do. It was a very easy kind of logical way of how to write a book. Understand your context, be the person that you need to be to lead with trust and encourage others to do the same and then really acting on that and doing what it takes to to change things in a positive way so that's that's kind of summary of of how how I got to this place mm um the gift that that a random conversation um <laughs> gave me uh just by being uh, and being open to that and then being able to pull it together and say well how how does this relate to business because it really does it really relates to not just our personal life but our our business life as well and if you can have that one impact between a customer and an employee uh, and all of that can happen in five minutes. Imagine what you can do if you can have a whole stack of people within an organisation applying this sort of logic uh, with a really intentional focus uh, to perform better and to better serve not just your employees but also your customers as a result. So 
Yeah, that, that's that's how I got here. <laughs> wow, what a story. I, what, what, I think what a couple of the things that came out of that for me is that, that, that trust's not just about creating trust between people, but it's also about trusting yourself um, uh, as well as creating trust across a series of relationships within within organizations and teams as well. Um, and, and getting them to be able to trust in the situation. But we'll explore that as we, we kind of go through. Well, one of the things yeah. I am interested in, because I'm ex-military as well, I, I, and it's just kind of a, a, a kind of a question really, is I wonder how much influence your background in the Air Force has had on this, because I do know that they place a lot of emphasis on leadership. Oh, absolutely. Uh, trust is, is very much a cornerstone of that. I, I could even remember it uh, at Rookies where they, they, they did so many different exercises based around trust, you know, the, where you, I remember standing on top of like one of those big industrial bins and, and you know, having your arms across your chest and having to, you know, fall back. Yes. Uh, we, we, you had to trust that people had to catch you. Um constantly being put in different situations where really your life is also in um, the hands of the mate beside you. That that in itself um, was all about trust and working together. So trust is a foundation of, of so many different things and certainly within the military, um, instilling the importance of trust is, is, is a constant. It's a very big theme. Yeah, and particularly, and again, there's, there's quite a lot of work being done around the whole idea of fellowship, uh, followership, yes. and yes. and you know, people aren't going to follow you if they don't trust you. Um, oh, ab- absolutely! I I read a really great book um, very early in my, I guess, leadership journey, and it was called um, "Why Should Anyone Be Led by You." And it was very much about, you know, it was a very pointed question and I think the same can be applied to trust. Uh, quite often we, we want trust, we ask for trust, but, you know, why should anybody trust us? That's a really <laughs> good question. One. <laughs> and, and do we, are we applying the same, I guess, conditions for what it would take for somebody to earn our trust onto other people. So there's, there's very much about owning, finding ways to own our own beliefs about trust too is, um, is important because it's actually not about us, it's about the other person. Yes. So really, really releasing that um, in itself can be very risky and very scary. Uh, because it, it's uh, it, it's not a given. You can put yourself out there, but it doesn't mean to say that anybody's going to trust you still. And then they could even abuse that 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 vulnerability that you show. Yes. Yeah. We'll come back to the vulnerability thing in 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 in, in a short while because I think that's yeah. that's one of the key components of trust. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Really interesting. So you, you know, in the early part of the book. You're right, and I'm, I'm going to quote here, you know, the fundamental problem is that people focus on risk within organisations and choose control rather than establishing relationships and trust. What do you mean by this? Yeah, I think uh, I think in, in a world of uncertainty and a world of constant change, we want to control what we can. But the thing is, in grasping too tight on things, you don't actually control anything. What you end up doing is constraining people. You constrain their ideas. You constrain their their thinking. Um, you constrain innovation. You constrain a number of things that make people unique. And when you constrain the use of people's experience, your your results are always incredibly limited to purely what you can do. So I think it's really important that, yeah, okay, trust can be risky, but at times I think it's riskier and more dangerous if you don't trust people. <laughs> and uh, 
why the hell are you employing them if you don't trust them, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, why, or why are they part of your, your inner circle or your inner network uh, if they can't be trusted? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So I think sometimes our emotions override our logic and we've got to, we've got to have that, that balanced view. Yes. Yes, I think so. And I see a lot of organizations have been built on this idea of control um, down to the level of micromanagement um, where oh, like, everything's laid dangerous. out. Yeah. yeah, it's dangerous. It's um, And it, it stifles. It stifles performance probably more so than if you gave people a little bit more freedom. Uh, I mean, yeah. if you're really that worried about uh, who you have employed in your organisation, have a look at how you're recruiting them when they're coming in and the supports that you're giving them or not giving them to actually perform because you've really got to understand well, why is it that you aren't trusting somebody? Is it about you? Is it about them? Is it about the structures or the setup that you've got? There, there are so many other things that are involved. And, and I know um, the culture is something that people mention all the time, but that can be quite a, a broad sort of vague word that, uh, that doesn't fully appreciate everything that formulates part of the culture that, that also then requires trust within the culture. Yeah, so so one of the things that we know, particularly in organisations that, um, that that require change, require flexibility, um, it's, mm. it's very hard to get that kind of flexibility if everybody's constrained. And the, the flexibility for change requires quite a significant element of trust. Mm. Absolutely, uh, particularly if the change that particularly people have experienced where change hasn't worked in the past. And I don't know how many times uh, you, you see organisations go, you know, we're, we're on this transformation agenda where we're going to positively change things and we're going to do this and uh, it, it gets written into, you know, trust gets written into vision statements and strategies and business plans. And when I see that, I think, oh, great, they're putting that on the table. Are they going to do the work, though, to get it? Because when, when, when you call out that you need or you want to be trusted, it means that it's not quite there, right? Because if it was, you wouldn't ask for it. Yes. So, so it's 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 a sure sign that if trust is the new thing that you you're going to try and achieve, or it's the thing that's going to launch your business or provide that stability. You know, we want our customers to trust us. Okay, well, it means that they probably don't. Yeah. Uh, are you going to skirt over the top of that and say that it's just about, you know, some communications and better promotions or are you going to really dig a little deeper mm. and look at why they don't trust you and then work with the customers in that space, your employees in that space to say, well, how can we, how can we tip the, the odds into our favour? You know, what would it take for you to trust us because we don't know we're not getting it right so that once again that, that sense of vulnerability comes into play and it, it's people can see that as a really risky thing to do what you know like we're, we're gonna we're gonna ask people like what we're doing really bad and, and what we need to do differently absolutely you are because it shows that you care and you want to do something different that is positive and that will better serve them but that conversation to have that uh, particularly if it's a conversation that needs to be had and you're not used to having those conversations that are quite emotional because trust is very human um, yes. you can't outsource it <laughs> <laughs> it's not about a, it's not you can't outsource it. It's not about a digital product. Mm. So I do I do um, I do worry and I get concerned when I see that you know people are going to create digital trust. That's the new one. Digital uh, trust. 
digital trust, you know, uh, but there's not um, there's not too much effort around, well, what about all of the people involved <laughs> who, yeah. who you want them to trust, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not digital. it's It's got to be human. So, yeah, that, that can make a lot of people twitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's you've you've really got to open yourself out if you if you just ask another person, you know, what would it take for you to trust me, and what oh, would it take for you Can to you trust imagine? my business? I know, and it's quite a scary yeah. thing to do because you might not like the answer. <laughs> exactly, and, and chances are you won't like the answer, mm-hmm. but it's the intent of which you're asking the question that's important there, and. If you are coming from a place of, you know, I don't know, I need you to teach me and I'm willing to partner with you so that we can co-design something that is going to better serve you, well, that's got to be good. And I think I think what's really surprising when you start really opening yourself up to those sorts of conversations is that even if the answer isn't good, the fact that you're putting yourself out there, people aren't going to, are, are very unlikely going to kick you while you're down. Mm. They will see that and they'll go, "Wow, you're you're really willing, you're really wanting to know this." Um, and even if I have to tell you bad news. I'm, I'm not. I'm going to be less inclined to do it in a way that's that's really horrible, yeah. because you're coming at it from an angle of putting me in the driving seat to say, "Wow, you're the expert on on what you need for trust." You know, I'm clueless. Give me give me a hand on this, <laughs> and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> I think people are responsive to genuine requests for for information like that and, and and to understand what the other person's position is. Yeah, and the, the key there is once you get that information, what are you going to do with it? Yes, and that, yes. The, you know, so, so it's one thing to open yourself up. It's another mm-hmm. to go, now that I've opened this up and we've had this conversation at a deeper, more meaningful level, that also requires deeper, more meaningful action on your part. Um, yes. So not only are you going to be hearing things that you might not want to hear, you may also have to do things that you don't want to do. You may have to let go of old ways. You may have to lean into something that you never really wanted to go into in order to get a better outcome. So it's, it's that, that level of give and take Um more give is the key. Yeah, there's a generosity that comes along with trust, I think. And in fact, in the book, you, you, um, um, just another quote here is you say, you know, when it comes to change, it's the behavior, not the person or the people that's the problem. So, what do you actually mean by that? And why is it important? Yes, uh, vital. So, um, that one came that one comes from some experiences I've had in misconduct investigations and in mediation sessions where people are at their wits end. Uh, they're usually either wanting to um, punch one another, yell at one another, or they could have already done that. Uh, and they're acting out in ways that aren't generally aren't um, in alignment with their own moral code and, ge- and definitely not in alignment with organisational values or, or codes of conduct in that regard. So that's, that's where that thinking came into play um, for me and really hit home because what I found was in, gosh, yeah, and I'm just going to throw out a figure because it's my anecdotal figure, right? So don't, <laughs> I haven't done solid <laughs> research on this. <laughs> but I would say 98% of the time uh, when you scratch the surface, it was the behaviour, not the person that was that was the problem. And why I say that is, is that when you start understanding, you know, why did you behave like that? Why did you punch that person or what happened before you lost your cool and just totally, you know, behaved in that way? What what was the trigger? 
And usually it was a case of that their own values, they felt that their own values had been um, not respected or not regarded or there was you know, quite often a process or a, some kind of a business practice that wasn't working where it had just reached boiling point for them because they couldn't do their job without this. And I tried to tell this person about it, but nobody listened to me. And then I just had a brain snap and this is, you know, and then that, that's kind of how it all, all came to be. So um, when it comes to change, that's a less extreme example of what, what can happen. But when it comes to change, you think, well, depending on what the change is, you could be, it could be somebody losing a job. Um, even if they're still employed within the organisation, we've got, um, you know, robotic process autom automation. That's a really big thing right now. If, if you've got somebody who is very transactional and they just love it, you know, they love their work, it lights them up and all of a sudden you say to them, well, we're actually going to automate 80% of your job, that can be devastating for people. Because what are they going to do with the 80% of their job if they're only given to be 20% busy? <laughs> so yes. without without really understanding what that means for somebody, mm. the reaction can be one of anger, it can be one of withdrawal, it, it can come out in all kinds of different ways. And, I mean, that's just one example. If you think of all of the different changes that we make to work, um, you know, some people get very, very connected with their office space. You know, they like having their snow globes or their plants or whatever it is that they put on their desk. And all of a sudden, if you introduce hot desking, what? I don't, you know, I don't have my space. I don't have my territory. You know, mm. so it is about looking at well, what is it that is ticking this person off, and and re they're reacting to. And what can we do about that that will not necessarily give them what they want, but certainly, I guess, make the situation slightly less uncomfortable for them. So, so that it's a negotiated outcome. It, it's, a it's a negotiated outcome. And even if it's a change that is a non-negotiable, and there are plenty of those, you put that out on the table too. You say, look, um, this is the way that it's going to be. It's a non-negotiable. But what we can do is we can figure out ways that will better support you in that space. So you you might still hate the change and you're totally entitled for that. <laughs> like you're entitled to hate the change. Uh, and this might even be such a change that the organisation may no longer be right for you. And that's okay too. But let's see what we can do to retain your skills or, or to keep you here and get you into a position where you can perform and you are okay with this. Uh, but then if you're not okay, well, then how do we help you exit into something that's more suitable? So, yeah, I think I think when we, when we look at a reaction as opposed to a response, it's a dangerous space to be in. And, uh, yeah, we need, we need to really think about, you know, who is the person behind that, that reaction? I think that's an important point. I think, you, you know, you, you might not like the change, but it doesn't stop you trusting that the change is the right thing to do or trusting in the organisation or trusting the people who are instigating the change. You can still have that trust and still not, you know, you think, actually, I'm, 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 this isn't the kind of change that I want or I like, but still, yeah. still trust in the process or in the people and it's creating That's processes right. and having people that will create that kind of trust even though the change may be felt to be a negative at that moment in time absolutely and quite often um if if you've got uh environments of distrust and you've got large groups of people who are distrusting you know what are the things that that they can be involved in so that they can actually trust the process of change. They don't want to be, they don't want to be told, they don't want to be directed. They want to be involved with what needs to be done and how to do it. Uh, so I think that that one's the vital, you know, if you're working on something together around how it's like the change is the change people. We don't have yeah. to like it. 
But how we get there, that is totally something that we could probably work more closely on. I think it's it's almost it's impossible or, or very difficult to trust in a vacuum when you don't have the information. When you have the information and there's communication going on, that's a two way communication. People are listening to each other and things. Then there's yeah. you know trust has a bigger chance of of occurring. I think. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you talk about um, you know you mentioned earlier in in our conversation about risk trust is inherently risky right you're not going to be able to take the risk out of trust but you can mitigate some of the negative impact of that by involving people in creating the processes creating the structures in order to get to where you want to go so it's it's i guess it's about minimizing the risk by involving people because if they're part of creating the solution or creating the how to get there, well, you know, they're going to, they're going to identify the risks as they come and then they're also going to be identifying what can be done to take the edge off. And I think that that's a really important one. And I learned that one um, when I was working in hospitals. Uh, we, we had some, some major changes uh, with, with building a new hospital and expanding a new hospital, and I was in uh, ward services at the time. So these were the, I guess, your, like your heavily operational staff of the hospital. So they were clinical support, and they had to move uh, mental health patients from one area to another. And they didn't feel safe doing it because it meant getting into a car which was an enclosed environment and moving patients from a, a, a mental health assessment area to uh, an area that was further out in the hospital within a car to where the treatment um, hospital was. So, you know, to mitigate some of the concern and to gain their trust, it was about totally putting myself in their shoes. And the only way that we were able to even get them to not strike, because they were threatening strike action, um, and actually get the work done, uh, was to say, well, guys and girls, you're going to have to help me. I'm not the expert on this. What is it that, what is it that we need to do for this to be safer for you? Because we're not going to be able to eliminate all risk. We're in a hospital. It happens. But what's the best possible things that we can do to minimise the likelihood of any risk to you, to patients or, or to other clinicians? So they were part of the design process around the policy that needed to be implemented, the type of vehicle, how the vehicle was configured, everything. They even We even gave them veto power so that if somebody said, no, 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 you have to transfer, if they didn't feel safe they were able to put their hand up and go, no, I'm not not doing the transfer and these are the reasons. So um, an incredible amount of trust was gained within that um, within that environment purely because we called it out. We were really open. I was very open around what I didn't understand. And I said, you guys are going to have to teach me. Teach me and I will back you and I will support you every step of the way. So, yeah, it was very much about opening up and then creating the structure and the process to support them together. What I'm taking out of what you're saying here about trust is that it's, well, firstly, trust comes from a relationship that's built because Mm. you don't just automatically trust things. And quite a lot of organisations, what they do is they do change to people. They just come along without any kind of mental preparation and just say, okay, this is what's happening. And you don't actually feel in a trusting relationship if somebody comes along and just does something to you without Mm. any form of discussion. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's a big takeaway for a lot of organisations about involving mm. them in the process of why we need yeah. it, what's going on, uh, and helping us to do the change in a way that makes sense for everybody involved. Oh, absolutely. And um, I think the, the pushback that people often have when you suggest things like that is that, oh, it'll take too much time, you know, oh, the consultation process will take forever. People will never agree to this. It's like, well, some things you're never going to get agreement on, 
there are things that are non-negotiable and you can call those out. Uh, the problem that you have is if, if you don't have some form of consultation or some form of discussion around how things are going to be changed, is that you're going to end up spending a lot of time later on addressing people's complaints, um, dealing with people digging their heels in really tightly, sabotaging change efforts because that happens. Yeah. Um, even the most angelic of people can dig their heels in hard and refuse to do stuff. Um, you see omissions from things as well. You know, oh, well, we just won't tell them about this. Yeah. We'll wait until this grabs them on the butt. You go, mm, okay, that's not how it's going to work. So yeah. I think um, front-loading the effort, making sure that you build that relationship can save you a lot of time later on, in particularly in the testing and the adjusting stage, because you've involved them earlier. Yeah, uh, manipulating people and creating shocks for them isn't a great way of creating trust. It does the opposite. No, no. And if anything, what it does is that it tells the people who are actually needing to change it that's that's okay. Well, if it's good enough for them to shock us, well. We're just going to save this little bundle of joy up later on. <laughs> we'll explode <laughs> it when you when you least expect it. Because people do. Like I, I, I hate to think that we, you know, I'd love to be able to say that we don't, but but people do, right? If if, if they feel disrespected, if they feel, um, you know, undervalued, if they feel small, at some point they'll find a way to feel big again. <laughs> Yes. And it won't necessarily be in the way that you expect. <laughs> and it'll poke you back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Especially, yep. especially if it's um, if it's something that uh, really threatens their livelihood or their or their own um, identity. Because our work is very connected, also to our identities. You know, we we can't. We can't sort of separate ourselves and go, well, you know, half of me is work, Melanie, and half of me is, you know, personal, Melanie. I'm still the one person, right? There's got to be a blend in there somewhere. So I, th I think we really have to respect that we are one person and, and we have to be holistic in that. Yes, yes, I think that's – so it, actually this is an interesting question. So do you think you can fake trust – uh, uh, put it this way. Those horrible fake. questions. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's a great question. It's a great question because it goes along the lines of, you know, fake it till you make it. And I really hate that saying because <laughs> we're all pretty smart, right? Like, <laughs> you know what it's like when somebody is faking it? You feel it in your head, heart, and your gut. <laughs> you know, usually it's your gut first and then it tra travels up to your heart. It just doesn't feel right. And then eventually the logic kicks in go, I knew I couldn't trust you because here's all of the evidence in my head. So um, can you fake trust? No. And the question is if you feel that you need to fake trust, why? Who are you not trusting? You've already made the decision to not trust people by faking it. So why should they trust you? You've got to give it first. <laughs> Good so uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's time to check your own beliefs on that one. If uh, if you're feeling that you can get away with faking it, yes. In fact, you know, trying to do that is is a manipulation. And yeah. as people discover that you're manipulating them, then I would suspect game over as far as trust's concerned. Ah, oh, that's right. I mean, and not not um, not to mention how hard it would be to keep up the facade. Like, can you imagine? trying to fake being anything, it'd be very exhausting, yeah, very tiring. <laughs> you know, at some point, like you, you know, the mask is going to slip, you'll have a weak moment, and all of a sudden you'll be exposed to the world for the fraud that you are. So maybe just be honest at the start. Yeah, yes, it's easier to, <laughs> to do it like one of the things I just want to move on a little bit. So one of the things in the book that that comes out is your heart and soul model, which I found particularly interesting. And you've got three main areas of kind of honesty, reliability, and empathy, which comes back to the thing we've just been talking about. Yes. So can you explain how these three characteristics interrelate, create 
trust. And why did you focus on these three? So I focused on those three first and foremost as the foundational elements because it it pops up time and time again in research uh, and even outside of research when you when you read a lot of books that uh, I guess touch on the surface of trust they're the big three that they call out um, and as you know I, I don't believe that that's enough hence the book hence the heart and soul competencies uh, how they interrelate is it, it's best to sort of say well when I've failed, I've missed one of them. <laughs> I've, I've not quite given it. So when I've been honest with that empathy, it's like hitting people in the face with a sledgehammer um, or it might be I've been honest but it hasn't been well received because they didn't ask for my honesty and I didn't have the permission. Uh, the, the other one um, with being, I guess, reliable it's about being consistent in how you show up and what you're what you're giving. So is what you're saying and what you're doing consistent enough for people to go, well, there's the clear pattern of behavior there that that means that you know when push comes to shove, that that I'm going to be okay because consistently over time, they seem to be somebody who is generally speaking quite reliable and I can trust even if, you know, it's a good day or a bad day, generally speaking, the baseline is something that I can kind of work with. So those three are very much baseline competencies. Um, you can't cherry pick them though. You, you can't just pick the one that you most prefer that's easy and, and think you're going to get away with it uh, because <laughs> that's not going to work for you either. I'll be reliably dishonest. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, honesty is a funny one too because um, it can't really just be about your opinion either. Like I can be honest with how I'm feeling, but that's still my my perspective. And if I'm wanting to work with you, uh, well, I need to to come at you with from a perspective of well, where's the evidence here that says that my feelings are based on some kind of a a situation or an event that we could both relate to because you're not me and I'm not you and your your take on the situation could be very different but the facts are hard to argue if we can agree on those so yeah. that that's that, that's a that's a little one there that I think we quite miss when we talk about honesty because people think that well I'm I feel like this so I should you know I should be honest about how I'm feeling yes um are you also in re respecting that there is other person having having feelings as well and, and their truth is not necessarily your truth <laughs> what's the one in the middle yeah. <laughs> yes yeah and I, yeah I think the empathy things hugely important in 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 trust but, but all three of them um so as I, you've you've got a number of competencies that are, are kind of sitting under the um heart and soul and you know if people want more they can they can read the book one of the things i was interested in was the 3c model that you've that you've um developed of connect clarify and commit. Can you just explain a little bit more about this and what it does and how it sits in the, the whole kind of trust story? Yeah, I think it's uh, trust is not a soft skill. It's really tricky. It's really hard. And when you do it well, it's got fantastic hardwired business impacts. Uh, when you do it badly, the same thing applies. So uh, the 3C model is about pulling together how you will lead with trust and putting it into a context where you can connect with the people who, are, who you're going to need to work with. You can be really clear around what needs to change, what doesn't need to change or what's reasonable uh, to change, not just for you personally and for them personally, but also within a business context because we all, we're all bounded by certain constraints, operational constraints, strategic constraints, and then looking at it from a, well, what are we going to commit to? So when we when we know that, that this, is, this is what we want for ourselves, this is who we are and what we've got at our disposal, this is what we need to achieve and why we need to achieve it, 
now's the time where we've all got to have our skin in the game to say, well, I'm going to own my part in this and this is how I'm going to behave from here on out. So being able to pull the heart and soul competencies into more of an action-focused model, it makes the conversation within a business context much easier to have because you have to have some kind of a tangible outcome. What we don't want is um, a whole stack of notion that, you know, trust is this soft skill. It's not. Um, it, <laughs> it, it's just not. So let's just let's call it for what it is and then put it into a context that we can actually act upon uh, so that we can do what we need to do differently. And certainly in a business context, business relationships, we're, we're, we're trying to create trust for a particular set of reasons, as well as human reasons. And, and I think one of the things that the 3C model does is that it highlights the relationship nature of trust, the whole idea of connecting. You've got to have that connection first. And yes. And that connection then leads into the ability to be able to clarify things and then create some form of co-commitment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that um, that connection is vital. It definitely has to be first because how are you going to know what all the problems are that need to be solved or the risks that there are to, to the change, uh, to the organisation, if you don't have that connection first. You know, people need to feel that it's safe to be honest, um, safe to call out what's not working, and even safe to call out what they may have been doing wrong in the past. Yeah. Uh, if they if they don't if they if they can't have that open conversation with you, well then you're only going to be coming at a at a problem or you know with half of the information if you're lucky. So you've really got to, it's really about gathering good intel, but in a way that yeah. is mutually provided and inclusive. So professional inclusion is really what the 3C model is about. Yeah, and that, that, that the whole idea of trust in things like debriefing, getting the information from people, and, and, and so there's this idea of employee voice that they'll speak up when they see something. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll only do that if they actually trust, A, that the information is going to be well, well received, they're not going to be, like, thumped for it, and that yeah. then something's going to happen as a result yeah. of that. Um, and we, you know, there are many examples in history of, of leaders not listening to people, not wanting honest feedback, mm. Um, mm. And, and, and all of that stems from, well, largely, I sometimes think that it's distrust of the leader's own capabilities to be able to deal with that. But oh, absolutely, and you know, it, it could in in some organisations, it could be, it could result in life or death. And I mean, that's that's the seriousness of the topic, really. I mean, if if people are in a position where they don't trust you or you can't trust them. Depending on your industry, that that could result in, you know, in something that could not be reversed. Yes, yeah, and we see that in the certainly in the armed forces and in the emergency mm. services. You know, in the debriefs, yes. you've got to have honesty. You've got to be able to learn from what worked and what didn't work. And you need people to also, you know, if you're a commander, if you're a leader, telling you. Yeah what you've done that caused a problem so that you can learn because these are life oh, and death situations. Absolutely. And I think quite often as leaders, we can get in the way without realising it. Yeah, oh, and that, yeah. that's another important one. I mean, you, when, you, when you're when you responsible for leading a team or, or leading an organisation, quite often you could be the number one risk and not see it. Yep. So, um, so that's equally important. <laughs> to be aware of. Yeah, I think, I actually, I think a number of leaders become the number one risk, largely because nobody trusts them. And then you've got a real breakdown in communication. Things start happening that are, are, are 
like kind of unexpected that could have been predicted because that information would have been flowing previously. And, um, and I, you know, I've seen a lot of problems in organizations through a lack of trust of the leader, what the leader is going to do with the information. And, and, oh, and, it's, and it's horrible if you've ever been a leader in that position and you realize when it's too late that um, something could have been prevented had people trusted you and that, mm. You know, so I, I think, um, you know, having been in that position myself where I haven't been trusted, um, it, you know, I really empathise with with people in that spot too because quite often the higher you become in an organisation, the more filtered your view is of the world and the more protected you are of the operational realities. So there's there's a real lot of effort that you need to do Um if you're in those executive roles or in those leadership positions where you've got to connect and get to know people, um, not just every now and then, but really have a good relationship with, with the crews on the ground. Yeah. And, th- and that's important again for the, the whole feedback issue. You know, I, I've been in organizations in, in a number of roles where we've done like a 360 for the leaders and it's been the first time they've actually had any feedback and they've been shocked. And you yeah. just start thinking, well, what's been going on before? Because, and, and I know the higher up that you go in an organization, the less likely you are to have get honest feedback that you need. Mm in order to kind of move yourself into a place that's that's more effective as a leader. And, yeah, and yeah. that and lack of trust kills it. Mm. And it can yeah. be hard to carve out the time, carve out the space to do that too. Yes, and, and just having the will to do it. Quite a lot of people are a bit protected, you know, it's like getting that feedback, particularly as a leader, because you've – that self-identity, you have this kind of identity as a competent person and suddenly you're getting this, you know. And I I certainly remember um, doing an exercise with one of my teams for getting feedback and I was like, crikey, I had no idea what you thought of me. Oh, isn't it an an awful feeling when you have that realisation? Like you need to support yourself to be able to get through that because, uh, I mean, I think we're inherently good. You know, you, you, nobody wants to be, um, you know, the leader with their head in a bucket of sand. Uh, nobody wants to be, you know, the person everybody sniggers and, and talks about behind their back because, oh, they don't get it. It's like, well, yeah. you know, you, you need you need help with that as well because, you know, we, yeah. we only see segments. Mm. And we can't see how other people see us until they tell us. And, and it requires, particularly for subordinates, it requires a lot of trust to be able to mm-hmm. say that to a leader. And particularly if they're two or three levels above you, to be able yeah, to go to someone yeah. and say, hang on a minute, we've got a problem here. Yeah, uh, you and I have got a problem more. Yeah. That's right. And if you're somebody who's come up from the ranks, um, you often don't realise just how scary and intimidating you've become. Like I I remember the first time I ever had to lead like a large group of people. So there were over 300 staff. It was the first time I'd ever had that kind of a, a cohort of, of people um, under my under my watch, I guess, for want of a better term. And I remember somebody saying to me how scary I was. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, you're this, he said, I, I just have to say it, but you're like this corporate chick who's just bulletproof and we can't, we can't connect with you because you just don't seem human. And I was devastated. I was like, wow, like that, that is not, that is not who I am. Like, am I coming across as, as arrogant or rude? He's like, no, you just... It's like you just brush everything like it's it's not a big deal and you're just all over it. He said, we know that you're under a whole stack of stress and we want to help you, but you just never you never let us in. And, I mean, this guy was, um, you know, twice my size in width and height, a big burly bloke saying that I was intimidating and scary and uh, <laughs> and, and and I it was the best leadership advice I've ever been given 
and um, and from yeah. that time on, it uh, one it gave me permission to be more vulnerable, uh, and it also gave him a really good way to, to go back to the crew to go, oh yes, I'm told of this, and uh, <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> going to come in a bit differently next time. So it's uh, yeah, it's when you get that kind of insight, it is it is real gold and. Um, Quite often we're not lucky enough to get it at the right time, and I was blessed in that moment. Um, and I yes. know exactly how I took it, but it doesn't always feel like that at the time. It, it can hurt. <laughs> no, no, and we often don't realise what the hierarchy does to people's perceptions of us. I, I've, I, I've had very similar kind of feedback in the past, certainly when, when I was a police officer. Um, uh, and I went home and, and my kids rolled around laughing. You know, they think I'm a big teddy bear. Um, <laughs> but it was it was the real perception of, you know, what people thought I was. And, and, yeah, and yeah. it was probably it's, it's my reaction to the hierarchy as well as their reaction to the hierarchy because I was trying to be professional and it created that yeah. distance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's the thing, right? Like that professional distance. And what what we're what I'm what I'm doing with the book is I'm bucking the trend and I'm saying, well actually no, we don't want you to be professionally distant. We want you to be professionally inclusive, professionally close, because yeah. you'll get a better outcome with that. And Definitely. so will so will the people you serve. Hmm. So what do you think the biggest challenges are for leaders and managers in organisations in terms of creating trust, both with a team and with people, but also kind of facilitating trust between others and kind of between teams? Because as a leader, you've got that role as well. You're trying to get teams working together and other people working yeah. together. So what are your thoughts about that? Uh, the uncertainty is the big one. Uh, we talked about risk before, so that the personal intrinsic risk to you, um, as well as the external risk of you know what's going to happen with with other people once I start putting these sorts of things out there. How how are they going to respond? Because um, we can't control the response of other people, so that in itself can be a bit a bit confronting, particularly if you've got. Um, if you're in an in an area where there's already a lot of distrust, and remember what I said before, and if we're calling out that we need trust, it means that you've got you've already got a bit of a culture of distrust going on. So when you go and open out your heart and soul, uh, that might not be received in the way that you would like it to be uh, to begin with, and the initial reaction that you get uh, might want might might want to make you want to crawl away underneath the rock and hide and never come out again. <laughs> so overcoming that and uh, the emotions that are attached to that uh, are key. I mentioned slightly earlier in our conversation too around um, the time, the time that it takes uh, to be able to establish a relationship of trust. I mean, there are certain depths of trust, you know, you've got your surface level, your middle level, and then there's that deep, you know, I trust you with you know, with my life or my family sort of stuff. Those sorts of things take time. And the time that you spend in trying to build these relationships, the return isn't always obvious. Uh, and if you're looking at an environment where it's all about time and targets and money and deliverables, and then all of a sudden people see you over here building relationships, having conversations, well, you know, what do they actually do? You know, where, where, are, their, where are their deliverables? You know, well, they're, they're delivering and you'll see it a little bit later, but not just yet. So I think um, the perception that building trust uh, is going to take too much time and not be worth the effort or it's going to impact uh, a KPI, like a key performance indicator that we've got. I think I think overcoming that uh, it can be a challenge in some in some areas. So yeah, there are a couple of the key challenges that I think um, often people push back on uh, the most uncertainty, the risk, and then that that whole well, 
if I'm not seen as being or doing this, people will think that I'm not doing anything at all. In actual fact, it's, you, you know, you're, you're kind of paying it forward. Mm. Yes, yeah, and I think that's important. Um, and so, apart from reading the book, of course, <laughs> um, so, which is we take as a given, you should read the book. Um, what three <laughs> things do you think people? Well, no, it's a good book. I, I've really enjoyed it. What three things do you think people can do? Firstly, to um, create greater trust in their interpersonal relationships. We'll we'll deal with that one first. Yeah, be human. Right? You cannot have a relationship with another human if you're not human yourself. So be human. Um, Do something a little scary by assuming trust, by giving them your trust first. And that, that, you know, when you give other people that little bit of trust, I'm not saying trust them with everything, but by being a little bit vulnerable, showing them a softer side of yourself, um, offering up something that maybe people wouldn't see on the surface, you know, that can really open the door for other people to do the same. And I think I think that that's a really key one for the first one. So if, it, if it's about creating greater trust in your interpersonal relationships, mm. you've got to give, give first, you know, yeah. and it's not Absolutely. giving, it's, it's giving without expectation is the key. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important, and and quite a lot of people give in order to receive, as opposed to just give. And I think there's a yeah. this kind of a generosity that underpins trust quite often. Mm. And we yeah, you know, giving without expectation. It's it's mm. it's really that's very foundational. Yeah, and that includes compliments and you know well done and things like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about helping to create higher levels of trust in a team? What, what advice would you give there? So this one is about being very, very specific around the unique value that each person plays um, and what how their experience adds, has a positive impact on what they're delivering, on what the organisation are delivering. Because when you're really specific around why people matter and, and why what they what people do matters and how that benefits the greater good that's really powerful because people want to feel connected they want to feel that what they do has meaning and offers value and when you really validate that you being here matters and this is why it matters and we couldn't do this without you without your thinking without your different range of experience when you when you really really intentionally provide that kind of feedback, uh, whether it's individual or more publicly, that has power in it, and it encourages other people to also bring more of themselves to the table, because we have so much individual experience within our little pinky fingers, uh, and we we don't we don't get to show much of that so the more we share of ourselves and our unique experience and the more we value that from each other and say what we value and why we value it we're in a much better space to be wanting to share even more of our skills because the the label that you are for the particular job that you're doing right now is not a reflection of the number of years that you've been on the planet Yeah. So don't confuse a job title <laughs> with with experience because they're very, very different things. So be specific, look under the surface and really, really show and tell people, you know, why what they've done and the way that they've done it has added value and meaning. Yeah, I think that's really important, valuing people within teams. And 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 the point that you're making is quite often, and I've seen this time and time again in, in organisations where you're really surprised that somebody's got some knowledge or skills that you didn't even know were there because yeah, you've yeah. never given you've never given them the opportunity to, to express it in the first place and yeah. suddenly you've got this thing on your hands that actually you think wow where did that come from yeah. 
Yeah, and we don't ask because we don't know what to ask for quite often, you know, like and if you don't ask, you don't get. But when you just let it be, it's like, well, if you like that, I've also got this in my toolkit and this in my toolkit and all of a sudden you've got a whole toolkit of stuff that you never thought you didn't pay for, you didn't expect. And wow, what a gift. I've now got a whole yeah. Christmas tree filled with stuff as opposed to a Christmas tree. Yeah, and it, it, but, it, but, it, but it's true, isn't it? And it's that, you know, just asking people, particularly as a leader, we, we don't like asking this, is just saying, okay, how do you see this situation and what would you do? And it people gives love them that. that. They love to be asked. Exactly. When you're asked, you all of a sudden are, are seen as important. Yeah. And the higher you are, the more that you ask for help, the more pa- the the more um, the more powerful your conversation is because they get to give this. They get to give this. They want to give this to you. Yes. Yes. Definitely. So, and and lastly, of those those three. So, if if you're a manager or a leader and you want to start to create higher levels of trust with people, what are your three three pieces of advice for those people? Oh, three pieces of advice. Well, I would say, oh, I think we've already covered it. One would be be a little bit more vulnerable, show people that you're human, be sincere uh, and promote their specific value and offer your trust first. Yeah. And when you offer your trust first, that's that's a pretty damn good start. I think so. If you trust in other people, then that trust will start to build. And I think it's kind of reciprocal. It kind of grows as, yeah. as the relationship grows. Yeah. Well, when we talk about, um, you know, and it's already established, it's servant leadership is, is, is definitely far more effective. And when we, we look at that, you know, how we serve people, we're giving them our trust because they're, they're worthy of our trust. You know, we are, we're doing this in service to them. I think, um, I think that's a really powerful, a powerful way to lead. I think that actually, I think that's a really good point. And we've got a project going on about um, within the review about servant leadership at the moment. And I think that's one of the things that servant leadership does do is is very good at building trust. That and and the leader just being, you know, part of the principle is that the leader is there to make your job easier, give you the resources to make sure that you can get on with what you're trying to do. And I, th- yeah, I think that's a yeah. very powerful way of creating trust. Mm. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Melanie. I really appreciate this. And 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 thank you so much for, for being generous and for your time. What people don't know and they won't know is that this is about <laughs> two o'clock in the morning because we mocked up our time. So <laughs> thank you for staying up. <laughs> it's time for you to go to bed. So what, just lastly, what, what's the best way for people to find you and contact you? You can find me on LinkedIn. That's how you and I found one another, which is which is always a great great way to go. And yeah. all my website, so melaniemarshall.com.au. So LinkedIn Brilliant. profile or my website. Yeah, we'll put all the links in the in the show notes so, so people can get hold of you. That's fantastic. So um, the book Trust: The Foundation of Healthy Organisations and Team is available now, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Melanie. I really appreciate your time. I've really enjoyed this. Ah, oh, look, me too. It's been an absolute joy and a privilege to be able to share this with you, and I, I feel really excited and blessed that you gave me the opportunity, David. So. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit oxford-review.com. That's oxford-review.com. And please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you. (laughs) 